There's a medrash. There's a medrash that's quoted in the introduction to the Ein Yaakov. We don't know where this medrash is. But in the introduction to the Ein Yaakov, he quotes a medrash. The medrash brings different shitas as to which pasuk in the Torah captures the entirety of the Torah. There's four different shitas. Zeshita ben Azai, that the Pasuk that captures Kola is the Pasuk says that man was created B'Tselem Elohim in the image of God. Ben Zoyma says it's the Pasuk Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad. Ben Nana says the Haftalareyacha Kamocha. And Shimon ben Pazi quotes the Psukim from this week's Parsha and says that the Pasuk that captures the entirety of Torah is the carbon Tamid. And when we think about these four approaches, a person can readily understand that when the Torah tells us that man was created with Selim Elohim, that the dignity that we all have inside of us, the soul that we all have inside of us, captures the entire Torah? Person says, yes, I understand. That could be a Pasuk that captures all of Torah. Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad, the oneness of all of creation. That's a Pasuk that could capture, call it Torah Kula. Kamocha. Certainly. That's a pasuk that could capture Kula, that we see the godliness in another and that, that tells us that we should treat them in a godly way. It makes sense. But Shimon ben Pazi comes with a chiddush. The carbon tamid, the daily carbon that we bring in the morning and the afternoon, that captures the entirety of Torah. Very difficult to understand. And the Medrash continues. And the Medrash says, that indeed they paskined on that day, the Chachamim paskined, that it was Shimon ben Pazi who was right, that it's the daily carbon Talmud that we bring that captures the entirety of Torah. And so we're doubly perplexed. Not only do we not understand what it means, but that that was the maskana. That's the way we paskin. What's going on over here? Rashi notes, the juxtaposition, a word that we only know because of art scroll. Rashi notes the juxtaposition between Moshe Rabbeinu's request for a leader after Moshe Rabbeinu is told that he's not going with Klal Yisrael into Eretz Yisrael. He says to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Klal Yisrael needs a leader. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu tells him, appoint Yoshua. And right after the appointment of Yoshua is the Parsha of the Carbon Tamid. And Rashi, noting the juxtaposition of these two Parshios, brings from the Sifri, 
an answer as to why these two parshias go together. But the answer is a wild answer, a perplexing answer. Rashi quoting the Sifri, as we'll soon see, Rashi actually misquoting the Sifri. Rashi quoting the Sifri brings a marshal. It's the marshal he says of a prince, I'm sorry, a princess who's dying. And the, the, the husband of the princess says to the princess, you're concerned about what will be with your children. You're dying and you're concerned what will be with your children. What's going to be with me? I'm going to be alone. When you leave this world, I'm going to be alone. You have to tell the children to take care of me. And this, Rashi explains, is the juxtaposition between Moshe Rabbeinu appointing Yoshua and the daily carbon Tamid. Moshe Rabbeinu, you're concerned. What's going to be with Klal Yisrael after your patira? Who's going to be the leader? Who's going to take Klal Yisrael into Eretz Yisrael? What's the future going to look like? Why are you so concerned about Klal Yisrael, says HaKadosh Baruch Hu. What about me? I'm going to be terribly alone. And therefore, just like the husband of the princess says to the princess, make sure the children take care of me when you're gone, Says HaKadosh Baruch Hu Rabbeinu, teach them the halachos of the carbon Tamid to make sure that I'm okay. And this is a very, very perplexing sifri. HaKadosh Baruch Hu needs to be taken care of. What are we talking about over here? HaKadosh Baruch Hu Kaviyachol is going to be lonely? HaKadosh Baruch Hu is nervous? What will be with him? Like, like a person who loses their spouse and now they're nervous, where will be their place in the world? This is what HaKadosh Baruch Hu is nervous about. Very strange Sifri. Not only that, but if you look at the Sifri, it's not what the Sifri says. Rashi made a change in the text. Perhaps he had an alternate girsah, but it's not the girsah of the Sifri that we have. The Lubavitcher Rebbe, Zechot points out that initially, in the Sifri, it said it was a mushal of a king and a queen. And Rashi changes it. It's no longer a mushal of a king and a queen. It's a princess and her husband. It doesn't say a princess and a prince. A princess and her husband. Why did Rashi downgrade it? Originally, it's the queen that's dying, and the king is concerned. Rashi says, no, no, no. It's not, a king, it's not a queen that's dying and a king that's concerned. It's a princess that's dying and a regular husband who's concerned. Why does Rashi downgrade it? I want to share with you something. For me, it's a question that I've received for sure hundreds of times, perhaps more, and I imagine it's a question that many of you have asked. Does HaKadosh Baruch Hu really care about my mitzvos? Does HaKadosh Baruch Hu really care about my Averos? I don't know why this is the Avera that people ask me about, but somehow, in 90% of the cases, it's Borer on Shabbos. Does Hashem really care if I do Borer on Shabbos? I don't know what Borer did, that this is what's driving the psychology of our youth today, but somehow this existential crisis of spitting out the seeds from the watermelon is critical. I need to know why HaKadosh Baruch Hu cares about that. 
But this week, this week I got the question differently. They came out, they just released the pictures of a new telescope. You all see this? The pictures of the new telescope, I forgot the name of it. The Hubble telescope was the best telescope that we had in the world, and there are unbelievable images that we had. But the Hubble telescope is like one of those dumb phones relative to the iPhone 1000 that we have today. And it takes the most unbelievable pictures and we're seeing deeper into space than we've ever seen before. And we're seeing galaxies that we've never seen before. And each galaxy contains planets and trillions of stars. And a Talmud called me up. He was bothered by the new pictures. And he said, Rebbe, I feel like I'm a nothing. I feel like I'm a zero. How could the Rabbani Shalom possibly care about me? It's one thing we're here in NCSY Kolel. What do we have here? 300 guys. Say there. I make a difference. One in 300, not bad. You look at the Jewish world. 11 million Yidden, 12 million Jews. What do we have? The Seder, I could understand. I start to think of the world. 7 billion. Starts to make me feel a little inadequate. I start to think of the solar system. But now that we know, and we've seen it with our own eyes, that we have galaxies upon galaxies, and we can see them, and it's unbelievable. We can see these pictures, gorgeous. Rebbe, I feel like a speck. I feel like my life doesn't matter at Kiyuzeh. And I submit that this is the challenge for so many of us. We don't feel like we matter. Many years ago, over 20 years ago, I was sitting in Eish Kodesh in Woodmere, New York. It was by a Shabbat Shuvah by Rav Weinberger Shlita. And Rav Weinberger said over the following idea. Why did Cain kill Hevel? The Torah tells us the Elmin Chosoy Loi that Cain felt like my carbon mincha wasn't good enough. HaKadosh Baruch Hu didn't turn towards it. It wasn't meaningful. It wasn't important. And Rav Weinberger said, and I'll never forget this. He said, do you know what a person is capable of doing when they feel like their carbon doesn't matter? That HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't care about them. That what they do doesn't have cosmic and infinite significance and meaning in this world. A person could kill their brother if they're living with such a worldview and they think, my life doesn't matter. You could do anything. And the Arizal says that the tikkun for Cain and Heaven was Elisha. Elisha Anavi. Elisha is a lie shah. Somebody's paying attention to me. Cain felt nobody's paying attention to me. Who was Elisha? Elisha was a person, a regular guy. And the Adaris Elio, the corner of Elio Anavi's jacket, touched Elisha Anavi, and that was it. He said, Rebbe, I'm yours. I'm yours. And he took, after, he took off after him and he said, I'm going to become the Talmud of Elio Anavi. And he became one of the greatest Nevi'im to ever live in this world. And before Elio Anavi ascends to Shemayim, he tells, he tells Elisha, ask me. Ask me for something. And Elisha asks a very strange thing. He says, Rebbe, give me Pishnayim Meiruchacha. Which literally means, Rebbe, make me twice as great as you. What type of bracha is that? Who goes to their Rebbe as they're leaving their Rebbe, as their Rebbe is leaving them and says, Rebbe, I want to be twice as great as you. 
Is Elisha a megalomaniac? He's a narcissist. I need to be twice as, twice as great as my Rebbe. This is not the humility that we would expect from Elisha Anavi. Says Rav Weinberger, no. What was Elisha saying? You know what was in the corner of Elio Anavi's jacket? I want that jacket. I want to walk around with Elio Anavi's jacket. And everywhere I go, I could touch Jews, and those Jews will take off and become Elisha Anavi. No. There was nothing in Elio Anavi's jacket. There was nothing in that jacket. But Elisha was a person who was waiting for the excuse. He was waiting for a Rebbe to come over to him and to put his arm around his shoulder and say, come, let's do this. Become the person that you're meant to be. Every one of us, Chazal say, has a person that we're meant to be. Elisha Hanavi, he was waiting for an Elio Hanavi to come. And now Elisha Hanavi knows that his Rebbe is ascending to Shemayim. And his Rebbe is not going to be around to inspire him, to encourage him, to push him, to critique him, to give him the muster that he needed, but to raise him up. And he has a question, Rebbe, when you're gone, what will I be? Who's going to remind me that I could be a somebody? Rebbe, give me pishnayimei ruchacha. Because we all have two ruchos, we have two spirits, two winds about us. There's the person that we are, and then there's the person that we already know that we have inside of us. And every single one of us already knows the person that we have inside of us. It's just a question of whether or not we'll have the courage and the commitment to become the person that we know that we are. And that's not a simple thing. Because there are so many deep vulnerabilities that we have to be able to stand proud and stand tall and say, this is who I am. It takes a tremendous amount of courage to be authentic. It's not a simple thing. So there's the person that I am and there's the person that I know I can be, that I know is living inside of me. And in some ways, the definition of maturity is to become the person that you know you have inside of you. So there's two ruchos. Like the Berdichever says about Nayach HaTzadik. Eile told us Noach, Noach. There's two Noachs. There's the Noach that he was and then there's the Noach that he could have been. And every one of us has two ruchos. The ruach that we are and the ruach that we could be. Rebbe, Elisha Anavi says, Rebbe, give me pishnaya meruchacha. Give me the bracha. That even after you're gone, I won't forget that I have two ruchos. I won't stop being inspired. I won't stop working on myself to become the person that I know I have inside of me. Elisha wasn't asking to be greater than his Rebbe. He was asking to be a lifetime Baal Avoda, to not give in to the complacency of life, which is not a simple thing because we get distracted. And to be a Jew who shows up every day and says, I'm in, I'm committed, I'm passionate, I'm focused. These are not simple things. Does HaKadosh Baruch Hu need us? Not a simple question. On the one hand, some of the philosophers in the room are probably saying, HaKadosh Baruch Hu needs me. How could that be? HaKadosh Baruch Hu's not lacking. But the alternative is psychologically debilitating. HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't need me. And we go around and we tell our Talmidim, because we want to teach them a proper Ashkafa. So we tell our Talmidim, don't worry, HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't need you. He has no lack. And what's the message that so many of our Talmidim are hearing? 
HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't need me. HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't need me. Ah, it's all for me. It's all for me. If I want it, it's good. It's the ultimate pleasure. It's this, it's that. But maybe it's not the ultimate pleasure for me. Maybe I don't feel like it's the ultimate pleasure. Maybe I'm not interested. Comes along Rashi in a daring move. And Rashi tells us an unbelievable insight into the nature both of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's relationship in this world and our relationship to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Of course, it goes without saying that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is infinite and an infinite being has no lack. And a being that has no lack has no needs. But that doesn't chas mean that you are not needed. Rashi says it's not like a king and a queen. The Sifri says the queen is dying. The king is wondering what will be with himself. But Rashi says, no, 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 that cannot be the text. That can't be the pshat. Because a king, even when the queen dies, is still a king. And he has all the royal officers and everything that he needs to be taken care of. A king does not need his subjects. Not to be king. So Rashi changes it. Or perhaps he had a different girsa. Or perhaps he's giving us an insight. And Rashi says, it's really about a princess. And her husband is a layperson. He's not a king. And the layperson, after the princess dies, he says, what am I? What am I without you? There is kaviyachal, ki'ilu, a vulnerability. Not that the person is lacking, chas v'shalom, not that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is lacking, but what will I do without you? What will life be like without you? And so Moshe Rabbeinu in this moment, He's coming and he's asking a question to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. What will be with Klal Yisrael after I go? Who will take over? Who will lead Klal Yisrael into the promised land? Who will build the Beis Hamikdash? How will we ultimately have a Mashiach? What's going to be with my children? HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave us the ultimate answer. One, appoint a leader. You have to have a Rebbe. You have to have a Rebbe that inspires you, of course. But there is a second answer that's equally important, perhaps more important. A yid needs to know that his actions are necessary, that his life is necessary, that every moment that we are here is on purpose. When a Jew wakes up in the morning and he says, it's the recognition that in this moment, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is saying, you are needed in this world. It's a beautiful part from Rav Kook. If you came to NCSY Kolo only to hear this, these words from Rav Kook, it would be worth it. And Yom Kippur davening we say, Ad Baruch until you created me, I wasn't necessary. And now that you created me, I'm still not necessary. It sounds so depressing. Comes along Rav Kook and he says, no, you're not reading it with the right intonation. Rav Kook says, imagine a person who has a line in a play. Imagine you're on a Broadway show and you're given a line. And this is your line. And everybody comes and they pay thousands of dollars to come sit in the audience and it's the breakout show. And you know, it's your turn and you get on stage and it's your turn to sing and you have nothing to say. What a waste. The whole show was culminating with your line. It was your turn and you're on stage. Say something, says Rav Cook. Ad shalom tzarti eni kadai. Until you were born, you weren't needed. But now that you're born, you have a line to say, and only you can say it. And now that you're here on stage, because we're not saying our lines. And why aren't we saying our lines? Not because we don't know that we have lines. We know that we have lines to say. 
But who amongst us has the courage to say those lines, to live that way, to live that way every single day? Who has the courage to do that? Not a simple thing. It's, it's an unbelievably inspiring message, says Rav Cook, to know that this moment, 11 o'clock at night in NCSY Cola, this moment is an infinite moment, pregnant with infinite possibilities. And the only question is, what will you do with it? And all of your life is like that. I'll tell you, when I turned 40 years old a couple of years ago, when I turned 40 years old, it messed with my head. And I realized that I'm probably halfway done. If I live till I'm 80 years old, I'm probably halfway done. And I realized I'm never getting those years back. And it messed with my head. So what am I gonna do? I've got 40 years left. And I already messed up so many of the earlier years of my life. And I felt a deep sense, not of regret only, but also of like hopelessness. Like what was? And I was talking to my Rebbe about it. And he said, Mordechai, if you're feeling that way, could you imagine what would have happened if when you were 18 years old and you went to yeshiva, imagine if you didn't make the decision to be passionate about your Yiddishkeit, at least you could say, okay, you're imperfect. But at least you could say you've been steiging. And it was a big nechama to hear that from my Rebbe. At least I could say I'm trying even if I'm failing, but at least I'm trying, I'm in the game. And Rabbi say that's what's being asked of us, to be in the game, to show up to play. If you don't show up, there's nothing we could do, but if you show up to play, okay, you're at least gonna score some, score some shots because you're there. Every person in this room needs to know that every moment matters. You don't need to be perfect. That's not what HaKadosh Baruch Hu is asking. But HaKadosh Baruch Hu is saying, if I woke you up today, I woke you up on purpose. Now what are you going to do to change Claudius Yisrael's today? What are you going to do to change the world today? Everyone here knows, I'm sure, of Rabbi, Doctor, Lord, Chief, had all the titles in the world, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, who passed away. Rabbi Jonathan Sachs tells the story of how he became Chief Lord Rabbi Sachs. He was in England, and he had philosophical questions. He traveled to New York. He wanted to speak to Rav Soloveitchik and the Lubavitcher Rebbe. He showed up at 770 Eastern Parkway and said, I'm here to meet with the Rebbe. And the Hasidim laughed at him. You don't just show up at 770. People make appointments months in advance. He said, I traveled all this way from England. They said, leave a number where we can reach you. But we don't know if you're gonna get an appointment. He said, I'm going out to Los Angeles. And he left a number where he could be reached in Los Angeles. He got on a Greyhound bus and went across the country from New York to Los Angeles. And when he arrived in Los Angeles, there was a message waiting for him. The Rebbe will see you tomorrow. So he got back on a Greyhound bus, went all the way back across America, and arrived at 770 for a private yechidus, a private meeting with the Rebbe. And in that meeting, he started giving all of his philosophical questions that he had to the Rebbe. And one by one, the Rebbe knocked him off. This, the answer to this is this, and the answer to that is that. And he kept on asking questions, and he kept on answering. And finally, Rabbi Sachs was out of questions. And thinking that the meeting was over, he stood up to go. And the Rebbe looked at him, and he said, where are you going? 
You got to ask me all these questions. Now I want to ask you a question. So Rabbi Sachs sat down and the Rebbe asked him, what are you doing for Jewish life in Cambridge? And when Rabbi Sachs tells the story, he says, I answered like a typical Englishman. That is to say, I avoided the question. And he said, well, Rebbe, you must understand, in the condition in which I currently find myself, and the Rebbe cut him off. And he said, there's no such thing as a Jew that finds himself in a particular place by accident. If you're there, it's because you're supposed to be there to do something. Now, what are you going to do for Jewish life in Cambridge? And that's the way the Rebbe was. And he was merciless with his Hasidim. You know, we think sometimes of the Lubavitcher Rebbe, and we think of this warm, sweet, soft, you know, elderly man who gave brachas and Yeshua's for Klal Yisrael. But the truth of the matter is, he was demanding of everyone that he met, what are you doing for Klal Yisrael? What are you doing to change the world? Because the Rebbe deeply believed that every moment that you exist, you exist on purpose. And it's an opportunity to bring Kvayt Shemayim into this world. And perhaps that's why. Perhaps that's why so many Hasidim today, even after the Rebbe's death, that's why they continue to do that work. Because he instilled in them that level of devotion. Rabbi said, there's a key, there's a trick. The trick is, show up every day. If you believe that HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants you, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu needs you in this world, not because he's lacking, but because there's something that you have to say, a line in the play, a piece of the puzzle then you show up every day to play. And that's the mitzvah of the carbon Talmud. The mitzvah of the carbon Talmud is an expression of the fact that every single one of us infinitely matters. And what more inspiring puzzle could there be in the entire Tyra? That we were created but Selim Elohim, beautiful, godly dignity, every one of us. Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad, an infinite God, amazing, oneness. Beautiful. But comes along the Medrash and says, all of those things are not the way we paskin. We paskin that the most important psukim in the Torah that encapture the entire Torah is the psukim of the carbon Talmud. Because the carbon Talmud is the revelation that every single one of us matters. And the problem with the question about Borer, and the problem with the question about all of the galaxies and all the skies and everything that I'm seeing in the world is I feel, Rebbe, like I don't matter. And that's what people are feeling today. People are not on their phones on Shabbos because they have ADHD. People are not on their phones on Shabbos because they have nothing else to do. People are not on their phones on Shabbos because they have no idea the infinite significance of their keeping of Shabbos. They have no idea what it means to show up to davening and to know that in Shemayim, when we show up to davening, that Yid showed up to davening. I want to, I want to, I want to tell you something. I love, I love Yom NCSY. I love Yom NCSY. You know why I love Yom NCSY? Not because of the fireworks or the drummers, not because of Mordechai Shapiro, though I happen to like Mordechai Shapiro music. Not because of the guy that's constantly screaming, please don't throw water, which happens every single year. <laughs> I love Yom NCSY because I love watching thousands of Yidin come together. And I love watching kids get up on screen who have no, no yeshiva education 
and they don't have the opportunities that many of you have. And they get up on screen and they say, Ich bin ayid, I'm a Jew. And I've come to my land and I've returned to my land and I feel like I'm a part of it. My daughter last night, she came back from dancing and she said, that was an awesome Yom NCSY. And I asked her, I said, Bracha, why was that an awesome Yom NCSY? And she said, Abba, I've been dancing with TJJ girls for the last two hours. Nachas. Nachas. That Yidin came on a program to Eretz Yisrael and to say, my life as a Jew matters. And Rabbi Sai, you should know what Klal Yisrael looks like. Because when you're growing up in Florida or the Five Towns or Teaneck or Muncie or LA, you don't know that most of Klal Yisrael doesn't look the way it looks in NCSY Kola. You should know that there are plenty of Yidin that are walking around out there and they have no idea that their Jewish life matters. And it's our responsibility in every moment of our life to make sure that the world knows that Yidin are here, that Jews are here, and that we have the opportunity to impact the world. And it starts at home. I was having a conversation with someone in NCSY last night. And we were talking about an interesting, developing, an interesting development in Klal Yisrael. We can't find great mechanch because nobody's going into chinuch anymore. And there might be a lot of reasons for that. But one thing for sure, if we're not developing people that are going out and inspiring others, it means we didn't fail you then, it means we failed you now. We failed you when you were teenagers. Because right now you have the opportunity to know if my life matters, then I have to do something meaningful with my life. And that's not a small thing to do. I remember when my father, who was very successful, Baruch Hashem, I remember when my father lost his job. And three weeks later he had a much better job. But there were three weeks where we had bought our house in Lawrence, New York. And there were three weeks where right after that my dad lost his job and I didn't know what was going to be. And it could be scary for a 16 year old kid when your dad lost his job. And I didn't want to ask my father. I didn't want to, you know, like, you don't want to be the intrusive kid, but it's scary. So I remember I asked my dad, I got the courage up one night and I said to my dad, what's going to be? I knew my mom was scared. What's going to be? You know, my father told me, I'll never forget this. Regular guy. My father grew up with no yeshiva education. My father said, when the Rabbani Shalom blessed us with money, I was privileged to be able to give tzedakah. And I am hopeful that the Rabbani Shalom will give me that opportunity again. My father is not a learner. He never had the opportunities that we had. He never went to NCSY Kolo. He never went to Yeshiva. He didn't know how to learn. He learns what he can, but he never learned much. He didn't know Gemara. He didn't know Mishnayis. He knows a lot about Pesach. He knows a lot about Chumash. My father was not the biggest daviner in the world. It's not that he didn't daven, but we weren't, he wasn't the guy that was like deeply into davening. But in that moment, I saw in my father a level of emuna that I had never seen. And more than that, I saw in my father that he believed that if he got money from Hashem, it was for a reason. And if he has a life, it's for a reason. And what are we doing, Rabbi Sai? That's our responsibility. I wish I could have given you the schmooze before Yom NCSY. It didn't work out. I wish I could have told you that on Yom NCSY, it's your responsibility to get into dancing with every one of those kids and to pull every one of those kids in. I wish I could have told you that before.
But the Rabbanu Shalom wanted it exactly on this, time, on this timing, so I'll tell you afterwards. We have a responsibility not only to ourselves, but to every single person in this kolel and to every single person in Klal Yisrael. And if chas v'sholom, you don't spend your life doing something that's, that matters, that's meaningful, it's because you didn't bring the carbon tamid. So you think to yourself, what's a mairev? What's another mairev? Does the Rabbanu Shalom care about my mairev? You know what the answer is? Infinitely. I'm too tired to wake up in the morning. Who wants to wake up in the morning? It's so nice in my bed. I don't want to wake up. Your shachras matters. I don't want to stop in the middle of my day. Your mincha matters. Do I really want to, to push myself to learn a little bit more, to work a little bit harder, to make sure that I know the translation of every word in the shaklavataria of every word? Every word infinitely matters. I won't tell you who. But there's a madrich in this very room that in staff training not that long ago, we had a beautiful long conversation about what inspires a teen today. And this young man was arguing correctly and appropriately. He was saying, Rebbe, don't we gotta teach these guys skills? Don't we gotta make sure that they know how to learn? Part of the problem, the reason that they're not inspired is because they don't know how to do it. And he's right. But I told him, I argued, perhaps I'm right and perhaps he's right. Or he's right, I don't wanna point in any general direction. Perhaps. Perhaps the problem is not that they can't read the Gemara. Perhaps the problem is they can't read the Gemara because nobody ever told them that it matters if they learn how to learn Gemara. You have to know that it matters. Infinitely. I wonder. I wonder who among the NCS wires here will be the people that in 15, 20 years from now, NCSY Kolel is going to be taking credit for you. Because you know that's what's going to happen. There's going to be, there's going to be some people here that they come through NCSY Kolel and they're going to become great for Klal Yisrael. Maybe they'll become great Marbitze Torah. We have had great Rabbanim come through NCSY Kolel. Maybe they'll be big Balei Tzedakah. We've had big Balei Tzedakah come through NCSY Kolel. Maybe there'll be community leaders. We've had community leaders come through NCSY Cola. But you know what's amazing? I have no idea, and nobody does. I have no idea who you're gonna be. I can't look at the audience right now and say, you, or you. I can't know, it's impossible to know. But I know it. I know it because we've been seeing it. The next generation of talent is sitting in this room right now. And we don't know who amongst you is going to be the next person that changes Kalal Yisrael. But I know this. If you're listening carefully and you believe in your heart what I'm saying, I know that the answer increases exponentially. And my bracha for us as we wind down before Shabbos is that every single person who's sitting here today should believe Be'amunah Shlema that they are the person that's going to change the face of Kalal Yisrael. Rabbi say have a beautiful Shabbos. Amen.